G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Proverbs 3 verse 9, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Hi and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Today we continue to discuss the benefits of your labour. Jesus teaches it is hard for those who have much to need God. We pat ourselves on the back for our achievements instead of acknowledging God as the source of both our wealth and the skills to acquire it. That's what I want to do in the second half of my life. I want people to find God. I want people to know God. I want the church to get better at communicating God. I want to use my time and my talents and my money and my abilities, everything that God wired me to do, I want to use for God. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we continue the benefits of your labor. Now, you heard this here first. You're going to be so proud. I made this up all by myself. It's deep and profound, so remember I said it. (laughs) It is more important to do what you love and eat hamburgers than to do what you hate and eat steak. There you go. <laughs> Isn't that right? So there are plenty, plenty of people who are content, not chaping, not striving, not mad at God. They don't look around and say, you have more than I do and get all covetous. They're content because they know they're operating in the way God wired them and they're happy even though they know that this particular job will ever only generate small to moderate levels of income, but they've learned the secret that consistency with contentment is not a bad way to live. Now, time out. I need to ask you. Some of you need to grow in your contentment. You need to take a deep breath and say, wow, you know, he's got a point. I do, I I like what I do. It doesn't make a lot of money, but I'm really blessed to get to do this. I don't really need more stuff. Jeff is right. And if I feel any devaluing, it's because I have believed the lie of the American culture that net worth is associated with self-worth. And then there are those other kinds of people. Oh, man, they are wired. We don't know why, and I'd like to ask God when I get to heaven. Certain kinds of jobs, certain kinds of industries that have income generation potential that will far outseed the rest of us, those little rascals. These people are going to make tons of money. And a lot of us are going to think, myself included, you think I don't sit around sometimes, boy, I wish I made more money. Ooh, that was evil, wasn't it? See that look? That's, I scared my own self. Don't you do that? Man, I could go to Pebble Beach and play golf with my pals. Ooh, pay for the whole thing, $350 a pop. Or I could go to St. Andrews, the home of golf, just fly over because I have so much money and just have a round of golf and walk the fairways where golf began. 
You don't think I think about those things? But here's what I do know for certain. Now stay with me because you'll misunderstand if you don't hear me out all the way. Jesus, you know what he said about those who make a faster level or higher level of income? He said that they are at more risk when it comes to their soul. Hear me out. Is making lots of money a sin? Well, that's the most ridiculous thing. No. Is being rich a sin? That's preposterous. God sent wealthy men and women to the early church to help spring forth the gospel. Did you know that? There were wealthy men and women in the early church. But what is true, Jesus' strongest warning, his words that are harsh, most harsh, are for those who are wealthy. He was hanging out with some rich people one day, and he says, I'm just saying, guys, it's okay to generate a lot of income. I'm just saying, okay to have a lot of money, but there's something you ought to know. And he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to wind up in heaven. They heard this, and that blew their minds. So they took Jesus by the side of the road, and they said, ma'am, surely you didn't mean what you said. And Jesus said, first of all, don't call me surely. Second, it's old, but it still works. Second, surely I didn't mean what I said. Because when you're wealthy, it puffs you up. You tend to think you're a little smarter. You're a little more clever. You start to actually believe that you're a little better than other people. And you can break the rules because the rules don't apply to you. And you start to think that all this you have comes from your own hand. Now, folks, listen. When I was 18 years old, there's a friend of the family, not a relative, a wealthy friend of the family that asked my mom if he could take me out for a graduation dinner. He took me to a five-star restaurant. I'd never been to one. I mean, five-star to me was Hardee's rather than McDonald's or what you call Carl's Jr. But five-star hotel. had I mean, it's just one of those where they just keep bringing the food. And I'm thinking, man, this is cool. And he's talking to me saying, Jeff, I wanted to have this meeting because I've seen something in you. I've been watching you. And he said, Jeff, you can have whatever you want in this life. Your personality and the way you're, listen, you can have whatever you want, but you gotta earn, or no, sorry, you gotta learn something. You gotta learn that you gotta outsmart people. You gotta be more clever. The sky will be the limit, and you can have all the wealth you could ever hope to amass. And then he took a little bottle of red dye out of his pocket, and he dabbed it on his finger, put it on his lip. He took a napkin, covered the glass, hit it with a spoon and broke it. And then he called the waiter over and he said, waiter, look, I cut my lip on your glass. And we got our meal for free. <laughs> that's right. You know what's sad about that is? A lot of you are thinking, man, that's a good idea. I think I'm going to try that. Next <laughs> but most of you are thinking, that little rascal. And I was thinking the same thing. And if my mom would have heard him say that, I never told her. If my mom would have heard us, she would have spanked him. 45 years old or not, she would have spanked him right there. Because you think, what an arrogant punk. That's what you think. Jesus says that when we get wealthy, we're tempted to become our own little God. And we won't bend the knee to the real God because we have pride. We think we're in control. We're autonomous. Rules don't apply to us. And it's all about self-sufficiency. They don't need God. And then here's the second part of God's economic plan. Stay with me. He says, here's where they make a mistake. Now, I just want to say before I go on, I got you. I did. I got you. Because who are the wealthy ones? <laughs> it's you and me. Comparatively to the rest of the world. When Jesus talks about the wealthy in the first century, anybody who had more than a roof and one mill a day, you're wealthy. We're the rich ones. We're the ones he's saying, you better be careful. Better be careful. You'll start to think by your own hands. And in Psalm 24, David says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. 
Think about it for a minute. You didn't think you were this balloon, did you? You may, be, you may not be to a lot of people in the room, but to a lot of people in the world, you are this balloon. Rich is relative. It's never my relative, but it's relative, isn't it? <laughs> and Jesus says, this is where the mistake is made. James 1, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Jeff, what's your point? It's this. In God's economy, there is no room for pride because if you're able to generate high levels of income, you can't take credit for that. It's the way God wired you. Whatever skills you have, God gave to you. Whatever earning power you have comes from God. What ability you have is God-given. God is the source of all you have. Okay, Jeff, I got it, I got it. Everything comes from God. So what? So what? Here's the second, parts of God, second part of God's economy. God desires that you express your inward acknowledgement of his provision by a key external act. What is that act? Hear what I'm saying. God says, I want you to put your money where your mouth is. You say that in your heart, you agree that everything ultimately comes from God and that whatever you have is a gift from God while you're in your mother's womb. You were wired by God. And he said, if that's what you truly believe, then I want you to do an external act that is consistent with what you say you believe internally. What is that act? How many of you ever heard of Bob Buford? Wrote a book called Halftime. Great book. And Bob Buford said, you know, I was coming to the second half of my life. Now stay with me, young people. I'm watching you. You need this. The first half, he said, I noticed I'd live my life, but I wanted a strategic plan for the second half of my life. So I called a high-powered guy from up in New York City, and he flew down to Dallas. We sat across the table, and the guy asked me, he said, well, Bob, I can't put together a strategic plan for the second half of your life until I know this. What is priority number one? What is in the priority box? Do you want to be elected to the Senate? If you want to be elected to the Senate, I can put a plan together in the next 20 years, get you elected to the Senate probably. Do you want to go off on an island for the rest of your life in retirement that I can put together a plan that will help you golf on a little island for the rest of your life? Do you just want to get wealthy and just stockpile and gain more and more resources? Then I can put together a plan, Bob, that will help you Become a wealthy man in the next 20 years. But Bob, I can't put together a strategic plan until I know what is the number one priority in the priority box. Bob Buford writes, he thought about it for about five minutes and then he grabbed the pen and he walked up to the chart and he looked at the strategic planner and he said, I, I know what priority number one is. And he wrote this word, God. That's what I want to do with the second half of my life. I want people to find God. I want people to know God. I want the church to get better at communicating God. I want the poor to find and know God and to experience compassion by God's people. I want to use my time and my talents and my money and my abilities, everything that God wired me to do, I want to use for God. Now, the strategic planner looked at Bob Buford and said, well, I've never actually put together a plan like that before, but I guess I can do it. And he put one together. And for the last 15, 20 years, Bob Buford has been doing enormous work in the kingdom because of the blessings of God, because he prioritized appropriately. As a matter of fact, even CCV has been touched by Bob Buford in our Celebrate Recovery program and the funds associated with Bob Buford's ministry. If I were to give you this pen, I ask you to walk through that door behind you and for you, those of you in the room, and I ask you to walk up and fill in this blank, what would you write on that line? You remember a few minutes ago, we said God desires you to express your inward acknowledgement that everything ultimately comes from God, your wiring, your ability to generate income, whatever level it is, 
He requires an external act. Do you know what the external act is? That God would go in the priority box. Okay, Jeff, what would that look like in my income? I'm glad you asked. That's the last part of God's economic plan. That when you are generating income in God's economic plan of blessing, listen now, because you acknowledge that everything ultimately comes from God, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and God's in this priority box, in the economic plan of God for your life, God desires, in fact, commands that the first part of everything you have goes to God. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We're examining the benefits of our labour with Pastor Jeff. God created us to work and achieve, blessing us with skills in order to do so. Let's continue now. Proverbs 3 verse 9, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe, that just means tenth, into the storehouse. Listen now, don't turn me off just yet. We're halfway between third and home. If God is the priority position of your life, then your first fruits, your first tenth, here's what God says, as acknowledgement that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above and that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and anything you have, ultimately, God is responsible, your time, your talents, your abilities. God says, if that's what you really believe, then I wanna be in the priority box. Oh, you can spend money on other things. I'm just saying, I wanna be in the priority box. It all comes from me anyway. Folks, this is, a, some, this is not some ritual, some legalistic law. No, it happens way before the Mosaic Code, way before the Ten Commandments. It happens way back in the garden with Cain and Abel. And it happens, if you wanna read an interesting passage sometime, Genesis 28, 22, where the law's not even coming to being yet. And Jacob says to God, I will give you a tenth of all the blessings. Why? Because that's the expectation from the beginning. Now, here's the problem. For 28 years, I, I, for 28 years, I rebelled against this. I came from a poor family. I learned to hoard money and to keep it because I was afraid I'd lose what I had. For 28 years, I violated this. Even when I was preaching in a church, I never preached on this because I didn't want to preach on something I didn't have in my own life. The problem with that is this. I know all the justifications. You can't trick the tricker. I give in other ways, I'd say to God. I'm a nice person. I help street people. I'm, I'm a generous person. And God would say, well, that's all good, Jeff, but that's not what I command. What I command is this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. In other words, this is the antithesis of leftovers. I make a decision on the first day of the first fruits of my first wealth that before I touch anything, this goes automatically. The best, the first, the foremost, go to God. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Jeff, you're telling me that you and your wife give 10% of everything to God? Absolutely. I am right off the top. Why do you do that? Are you crazy? Let me tell you why I do it. Because God asked me to. It's out of sheer obedience. Fundamental to your relationship with God is your willingness to obey him. I do it because he tells me to. And I always find it interesting that as long as I'm talking about how God can help others, people seem to be so interested God's going to help you. God's going to do this. Spiritual winter comes and God is right there with you. Oh yeah, that's great, Jeff. Let me, but then I, then I cross the line. I start talking about money. Oh, and the body language all weekend. It's been interesting to watch. Some guys have a look that they'd like to kill me now. Others are thinking, what time is lunch? Get me out of here quickly because this is too painful. 
I give the first fruits to God for the same reason I don't cheat on my wife. And the same reason I don't hit my kids. Much. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I couldn't resist that. My kids are in the service, so I just asked you. I don't want them to think that dad will never hit me because, you know, he might get a little smack sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. Now I'm in trouble with everybody. I'm going to get arrested. I'm just kidding. It's just a joke, so drop it. My point is this. My point is simply this. I give the first fruits of my life to God for the same reason I obey him in every other area of my life. But I also do it out of self-interest. I said this last week. I made no bones about it because look at what happens in Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth from the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. You hear that? Test me in this, says Lord Almighty. We're going to talk more about this next week. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I am not beyond needing a blessing from God. The idea of having God involved in my economics is appealing to me. I want to position myself to receive the blessings of God because he has a lot of them. Now, how many of you know who Alfred Nobel is? Great story, isn't it? Alfred Nobel, the creator of dynamite. That's right. Made a lot of money making dynamite. In 1888, his brother Lubuck died. But the editor of the French newspaper thought it was Alfred who died and not Lubuck. So he printed Alfred Nobel's obituary, even though Alfred was still alive. So Alfred got to do something a lot of us don't get to do. He got to read his own obituary. And the title of his obituary read this, the merchant of death is finally dead. And the subheading was this, Alfred Nobel got rich by helping people kill each other. He read that, it devastated him. And you know what he said? He made a vow that for the rest of his life, he was gonna do good. He only lived eight more years and he was able to amass $9 million. That's a lot, that's a whole lot back then. Shows you how lucrative dynamite can be. And you know what he did with the money? Left it in his will that these funds would be used to reward people whose work had benefited humanity. And now those awards became known as the Nobel Prize. And now you know the rest of the story. See, you're the only crowd that got that. You know, shows your age, but I appreciate that. Sympathy, laughter. Here's the point. Death comes to every one of us. This is the end of the message. Now stay with me. Death comes to every one of us. Jesus asks you to change the way you see your money. But Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 says, break up your unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord. Break up your unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord. Break up your unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord. You know why he says that? For many of you, man, when you hear something like this, the soil of your heart is so hard that the seed of God's truth cannot penetrate and begin to take root and grow. Because when you hear a message like this, you throw it to the side. But I want you to remember, look, there's no legalism involved here. No one's going to show up at your door. This is between you and God. I realize that. My job is to deliver the message. And if God asks you to do something, there is always a blessing behind the obedience. Always. But you first, God says. You first. And man, I give not only out of sheer obedience and self-interest, because I want to be rich in good deeds. First Timothy 6 says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, 
but to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Now let me finish this message. Because so many of you have done exactly what I'm talking about and put God in the priority, I'm able now to stand before you and tell you, man, good job. Because of what? Because you're doing that. You know what? I, I was able to talk to my friend Anastas in Rwanda, those prisons, and all those, a, a, a great number of those kids that are living in the swamps after the genocide because of your ministry. In a home, warm bed, eating a meal a day, and you can stand up and you can say, we are CCVers and we are rich in good deeds. Because of many of you being like this, there are over 400 children now in Zimbabwe, got desks, tables, chairs, writing utensils. More importantly, you dug a well for clean drinking water so they can drink clean water and have food because you are rich in good deeds. You stood up and you said, we are CCV and we are rich in good deeds. Folks, over 200 AIDS orphans in Nairobi, 200 now have food and clothing and shelter and are able to be part of the, one of the best after-school programs anywhere probably on the planet because, of, because you put God in the priority box. But what would happen if more than 20, 25% of the people put God in the priority box? What if we all did? Oh my goodness. Then we'd be, a, man, we'd be able to help single moms, single parents all through the valley. We'd be able to give assistance to those who have lost jobs and in desperate, genuine need. We'd be able to expand our programs out to the after school so that children who are in desperate situation can be loved and coached and mentored. But more importantly, if we all did this and put God in the priority box, we could fire a shot over the bow of poverty and disease all throughout the San Gabriel Valley. I wonder sometimes if God looks down and says, what, well, where, where, where are the good people? Now, I know good's a relative term. I understand that. There's no one righteous. No, not what. I know that. But I wonder if God says, where are the good people, man? Where are the people that trust me that I own the cattle on a thousand hills? And if I get a group of people that put me in the priority box, don't they understand I'm going to shift assets from here to over there because I know I can trust them and they'll use it wisely. Man, I want God's radar. When it stops, I want it to stop over the San Gabriel Valley, over CCV and say, there they are. I've been looking for them. There's those good people. I got to start shifting my accounts around. Get them over in the valley and start pointing out my blessing on people I can trust because I'm in the priority box. Father, I thank you for the power of your word and for reminding us that you are a God that wants us to recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from you, that we are wired the way we're wired to generate the amount of income that we generate because of you, what you've done. And Father, you demand an external act that harmonizes with what we say we believe internally, that we put you in the priority box of our life over and above everything else. The first fruits go to you right off the top. Father, I think there are many people who believe that's a good plan. We keep 90, you get 10, that's good. And we are thankful that you choose to work through us and we wanna be, we wanna be that group of people. Your radar stops and says, man, there they are. I've been looking for them. It's good to find them again. Help us to be those people in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and that's the end of Benefits of Our Labor. 
God has blessed us with the ability to work hard and in return, He asks us to honour Him with our finances. We'll discuss what this means next time on the show. Join us for Tithing Defined. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 